to day 22 of 31 Days of Terror and I have five spooky stories for you today and story number one comes from Dustin. My story started around the age of 12 at my childhood home in Alabama. The first experience I had was that my brother would often get scared at night and he would want to sleep in my bed. I wasn't really sure what he was scared of but just the dark in general I guess. I was irritated with him sleeping in my bed because I felt like he was too old for this kind of thing. So I'd tell him to go back to his bed and he would cry. One particular night, he was crying and snuck into my room and I told him everything was okay and to just go back to bed. And he continued to do this for weeks. One night I woke up. I'm not sure of the time, I just had an odd feeling. And the end of my bed creaked as if someone had been sitting on the end of it. I heard something hit the floor and I thought it may have been my brother so I ignored it. I tried to go back to sleep and I tossed and turned for a bit. I liked to sleep with my hand under my pillow and all of a sudden I felt a hand grab my hand under my pillow and it felt like it was pulling me. So I grabbed the hand and started pulling it and yelling at what I thought was my brother. My mother heard the commotion and she ran into my bedroom and turned on the light and asked what was happening and I told her that my brother was under my bed again. At that moment I looked past my mother and into my brother's room and he was laying in his bed asleep. And I felt the worst feeling come over me. I assured my mom that he must have ran back into his room and was faking sleep. So she told me and my asleep brother to be quiet so he didn't wake my dad. The next couple of nights nothing happened but I slept with my hands by my side. One night, my brother and I decided we would watch a movie together and my mom and dad were asleep. At this point, I wanted my brother to sleep in my bedroom because I was so scared. We were watching the movie and my bedroom door started moving back and forth and then all of a sudden it slammed closed so hard that it shook the walls. We immediately screamed for dad and mom and they came running into our room and with some extra force they got the door open. My dad yelled at us for slamming the door and we told him that we didn't and the door slammed all on its own. My mom and dad looked at each other confused and then swore that it must have been the air kicking on it that created a vacuum and caused it to slam. My brother and I didn't believe it one bit. A couple of months passed and I had let my guard down and I wasn't that scared to go to bed anymore. Then it happened. The last experience I ever had in my childhood home. I woke up from a terrifying dream and felt an awful feeling and then a bright white light flashed three times from my bedroom window and I went to jump up and run to my mom's room. When I threw the covers off me and my arm was in mid-air, something very forceful grabbed my arm so hard I felt like it would break. I was so scared. I couldn't even make a sound. I looked at my arm and I could see the imprints of fingers pressing in on my skin. I just watched as the imprints moved up towards my upper arm. I remember in Sunday school that we heard that if you were ever scared to shout and say, Devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. So I said that at first very quiet and the white light started shining again but started getting brighter and brighter. So I said it again much louder and this time with more soul and faith than the first time. Still it continued and the light got brighter. So I said it one last time and this time I said it with almost rage and confidence and more faith and immediately the light went out and the hand released my arm. 
After this, I continued to pray and thanked God for ending whatever that was. And after that day, nothing ever happened again. To this day, I always remember the hand under my pillow when I go to sleep. And as time goes on, I remember an extra detail about the texture of the hand. And story number two comes from Kim. My name is Kim and I'm from Dublin. I'm the mother of two demons, nicknamed the Exorcist and the Omen on the nights that they refuse to sleep. My story begins 11 years ago, when my partner's parents died tragically in a fire in their home that took their lives and the lives of their dogs. The house was rebuilt by my partner and his brother, a house that would eventually become mine in 2015 when I moved in with our newborn son, Jesse James. Soon after we moved in, things became eerie. My son would play with people that weren't there and would wake in the middle of the night, laughing hysterically as if he was being tickled. I once went into his room early one morning to find him in his cot, facing away from the door with his arms up as if looking for someone to lift him. I would hear my name being called through the baby monitor when I was alone, something so many people told me I was making up until my sister heard it firsthand one evening and refused to stay again. There would be intense smells of burning, so much that we would run down at night to make sure nothing was on fire. We would argue intensely without knowing why, and we would feel better instantly when we left the house. My son's toys would go off on their own and move from one room to another, even toys I struggled to move with both hands. I went home to my mum's a handful of times due to the weight of the house, but I called a friend of mine who was a psychic medium, who was able to give me some clearer details. As my partner struggled to talk about it when I asked him about what she said, he said she was right. She blessed the house and things didn't feel as heavy. We welcomed a second child soon after, a baby girl called Layla, and the house shifted completely. My partner said his mam always wanted a girl after having all boys, and the house felt totally normal. My daughter, however, from a young age would talk to people, especially the lully woman who played with her. At the beginning of this year, her speech changed overnight and she became a little Einstein, being miles ahead of herself. One day I was feeding my son, who was diagnosed with autism, so couldn't tell me who he was playing with. While my daughter ate in the kitchen, she called me with a scared tone in her voice and said, I think Uncle Stephen ran upstairs. Stephen was my brother and I knew he wouldn't be over midweek at 3pm, nor would the little shit run up the stairs like a weirdo. With shaking hands, I grabbed a knife, a butter one, yes, I'm one of those people, and ran upstairs. There was nobody there. I came back down and told her she was seeing things. When she said, I'm not, ma'am. The man is right there and his face is sore. I ran back to my son, who I was afraid would take a bath in his dinner, absolutely terrified. When my daughter became so panicked, she froze. I told her to ask the man who he was and bravely she asked. She said, It's Grandma Eddie. My daughter could never say Grandad and called my dad Grandma. My dad loved it so much it stuck and she always said Grandma instead of Grandad. I froze. Eddie was my partner's father who had died in the fire. We had never explained this to the kids so as not to confuse them. There was no way she could have known this. I called my friend the medium and she said ghosts can sometimes remain in the same state that they died in so talk to the house because they're intelligent spirits and tell him to make himself look less scary. 
I did. And that evening my daughter said, Oh, the man's face is better. He's been to the doctor. She would mention her grandparents all the time and give us information that no one knew, even things my partner had to double check. One day when we were alone, she asked to go to the bathroom. Walking up behind her, she said, Mam, be careful, Grandma Eddie is there. I'd become so used to this, I said, Sorry, Ed, I didn't see you there. And then she replied, Shh, he's holding a baby. I asked her what baby, and she said, It's my sister. I had lost a baby a few months previously. She then said, It's okay, ma'am. I don't like that baby anyway. I love the new baby Grandma Eddie is going to send you. You're going to have a baby girl in your belly after Santa comes. I nearly dropped dead. She then went on to say, He's sending Auntie Kira a brother too. We'd only found out my brother and his wife were beginning fertility treatment. My daughter seems to have a little gift. She sees things in other people's homes and can't go near graveyards because they're too busy. And yes, I shit myself at that one too. We brought her to show her her grandparents' grave, to which she replied, That's not them. Grandma Eddie is over there and Nanny stayed at home with the dogs. Sometimes when I talk to myself when I'm alone, my daughter will tell me what my in-laws think I should do, or when I think my partner is a prick, sometimes his mom agrees. Our lights blow when we argue, or when I've overstepped my mark with him, I sleep in what feels like an ice bath, because I know his mom is sitting beside me. And story number three comes from Jessie. I wanted to get my story out there because it's kind of interesting. When I was a kid, we lived in a small town about an hour outside of Los Angeles. This small town was kind of a ghost town with no infrastructure at the time and it was cheap to live in. We lived in a nice house on the north side of town. It was a three-bedroomed house with a huge living room and a kitchen that circled around and had two entrances. Now, my first experience here was weird. I used to watch Most Haunted as a kid and one day I asked stupidly in the living room, If anyone is here, give me a sign. I was 10 and I didn't know anything. I didn't think too much of it after that. Two weeks later, I walked into the kitchen to see my stepdad hitting the counter angrily and I walked around the corner back into the living room, only for me to turn around and see him talking with my mom in the den area next to the kitchen on the opposite side of the room. There was no way he could be across the room in two seconds. My next experience was a doozy. I was upstairs in my room. All of my family were accounted for downstairs in the den watching a movie. I was on the top of the stairs and I heard a creepy voice coming out of my brother's room to the left of me saying, Hey, come here. I noped the heck downstairs and told my family what happened. Needless to say, they didn't believe me. Until one day my mom woke up screaming. She told us she had a nightmare of an ugly creature accusing her and my family of things. My mom, being religious, prayed over her room and then nothing happened to her after that. Before that, my mom would ask me to go in her room and get diapers for my baby brother and something screamed at me not to and I had a panic attack and I couldn't explain why. Maybe I had an idea of what was in there already. One day, a few months after that, I went through a string of sleep paralysis. The worst part wasn't the paralysis. It was the fact that when I would struggle and squirm, I would hear growling. We moved out of that house and I've had more since, but growing up in a religious household I usually pray the spooks away. But I asked for a sign, 
and got more than I bargained for. And story number four comes from Larry. While my experiences may not be chill you to the bone scary, they are certainly odd. I have had several paranormal-ish occurrences throughout my life. I've no idea how or why I was chosen to be the recipient. I certainly haven't gone looking for them. I'm not what I would call sensitive that I know of. However, when I've least expected it, something presents itself as highly strange. My mom was sort of tuned in to weird happenings her entire life, so I guess maybe some of it rubbed off on me. Late in life, my mom lost her sight due to a stroke and cataracts. She always wished she could travel out west, as she was a huge fan of western novels and read anything about the old west she could get her hands on. Sadly, that never became a reality for her. She mentioned several years before her death, jokingly I think, maybe when I die I'll be able to travel the west. Sadly, she passed, never experiencing her dream. A week after her funeral in Ohio, I live in Nevada, I was back on the road again as I travel for a living. I was in Scottsdale, Arizona at a trade show. The first day there, my mind was on my mom, and just seeing the beautiful landscape of Arizona, I just couldn't shake it. Man, my mom would have loved it here. All day I had waves of sadness. I chalked this up to this loss, of course, and the surreal nature in the moment that I was back at work like nothing happened. I cut the night short and went back to my hotel room. It was all too much, and I simply needed time alone. I rounded the corner from the elevators and right in front of my hotel door was an owl with its large eyes staring straight at me. It was just standing on the carpet in this brand new convention centre hotel on the fourth floor right in front of my door. What do you do with that? In my mind, I said, Mom? It just stood there blinking at me with the sharpest eyes that you can imagine. Just then, at the other end of the hallway, a man entered the exit door. The owl turned, jumped up and flew out the door right beside his head. He was shaken. I stood there for a couple of seconds stunned and then I simply felt joy overcome me. It was as if a weight was removed from my shoulders. Somehow, in that moment, I knew my mom was alright and I knew she finally saw the West she loved through perhaps the eyes of that owl. It was a stunning and fascinating situation. It was the late 1950s and I was about eight or nine years old looking out the front windows of our house in north central Ohio. It was snowing and collecting on the ground and I was in high hopes of having a snow day from school so I was checking the progress of the falling snow quite often. On about my fifth trip to the window, I was startled to see a man dressed in all dark clothing, wearing an overcoat with a Dick Tracy hat. My 60-year-old reference to his fedora. It was cold and windy outside. He had his hands up to his neck, holding the coat closed at the collar. I'm sure he didn't see me, as he had his head tilted down against the wind and snow. As soon as I caught sight of the man, I dropped to my knees and peered over the edge of the windowsill. He was walking purposefully along a short hedgerow on our neighbour's property. This was not a normal cut-through for people to take, so I was quite taken aback. He could not have been more than 20 feet from my position in the window. I was spooked. And a little curious. He was walking between ours and the neighbour's house. I ran to report my sighting to my father, but as the grown-ups were playing cards, I was brushed off with, Is he hurting you? 
By the end of the evening, the snow had stopped and I was off to bed. After school the following day, I was in our backyard building a snow ramp to slide down with the six inches of snow that had fallen the night before, when it dawned on me that his footprints would surely be there. So I walked over and saw a single person's tracks between the houses and then cut diagonally across the neighbour's backyard. The backyards in that neighbourhood were 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. As I followed the tracks, they rounded a large hedge at the far corner of our neighbour's property. There were three or four more prints, and then they just stopped. No more prints, no disturbed snow, no nothing. Startled, I stood there looking down at the final footprints cleanly fixed in the snow. My nine-year-old brain was thinking, no way could he have backed up without disturbing the snow for that distance, nor could he have jumped the hedge, which was taller than me by a foot. Baffled, I walked back and continued my snow ramp project, trying to make sense of the situation. Over the years I've wondered about this event, and can see him in my mind's eye as clearly as if it just happened. I'm not sure if this person was a hat man, or a man in black, or whatever. Back in the day no one ever used those phrases, and as for me telling my mom or dad, they would have surely blown me off again, so there was no telling anyone. It was just a weird event that caused me to question over the years just what happened that night. Who or what could I have seen? Maybe it was someone from the past. I had just received my driver's license in December of 1966, and in June the following year my parents asked if I would like to drive my mother to visit my sister in Michigan for a few days. I could hardly believe what I was hearing. They trusted me to drive from North Central Ohio to the western edge of Michigan, six hours behind the wheel. My half-sister and her family lived just south of the Grand Rapids in a village called Byron Center. Her house was on a rural road by the name of Clyde Park. This is more my sister's story having lived in this house for four years. I had just five nights of it, and it bothers me to this day. My family is tired of me talking about it. They said, write it down and maybe that'll make you feel better. So far, not so much. My half-sister is ten years older than me, and her family consisted of her husband, their children, two boys, eight and seven, and two girls, three, and the other barely walking at the time. Their rental was a white, two-story farmhouse built in the 1850s, with a big porch sweeping across the entire front. There was a huge barn, with 1860 spelled out in shingles on the gambrel roof. The barn was set back further south just a bit, but was strictly off-limits, as the landlord rented it out to a farmer in the area. After our arrival, we got the walking tour of the house's first floor where the family lived. Then my mom and I were shown where we would be staying upstairs, me on a cot in the wide hallway at the top of the stairs, and mom in a room just on the other side of the same stairway. I was being pulled by the children to play games, but desperately wanted to hear the grown-up's conversation, What I did over here was my sister's husband worked nights and would be leaving for work soon. Also, something about coat hangers rattling in my sister's closet. This didn't really make sense to me just yet, but eventually it would. The children were finally down for the night and mom, sis and I were sitting at the kitchen table. My sister was telling my mom that this house was on the Underground Railroad and was also an inn back in the day. The basement floor was dirt and there were what appeared to be disturbed areas in the wall that had been filled in. I didn't really connect the dots as a 16-year-old, 
but by this time it was off to bed just after 10.30pm. I was up the stairs and in my cot. Being a typical farmhouse of the period, the windows went from floor to ceiling, one just to my right and one at my head with the stairs to my left. Mom came up the stairs which creaked with her every step, wished me good night, and I turned over to look out the window. There was a full moon that night, offering a blue hue to the farmland and woods that lay beyond the ploughed fields to the east. I fell asleep quickly, only to jerk awake to the sound of footfalls on the creaky stairs again. By this time I noticed the moon directly in the window I was facing. Realising the footfalls were reaching close to the top of the stairs, I rolled over, looking through the railing of the stairway thinking either my mom or my sister would be making their way up trying not to wake me. What I saw, however, would confound me to this day. There was a solid woman with a blue glow all around her, dressed in what I can only relate to the Little House on the Prairie style dress, a lacy collar and a duster cap trimmed with lace. In her right hand was a candle holder with a candle lit, but the flame was as blue as she was. She had no facial features, just that blue glow. Her left hand was holding her dress up as if not to step on it, but she was not walking the stairs but floating, yet the stairs were creaking. There was no acknowledgement of me, for which I was grateful, and for her benefit I was frozen. She topped the stairs and turned floating through my mom's closed door. Strangely, I simply lay back down on the cot and drifted quickly back to sleep. In the morning I was up having a bowl of cereal, my mom came to the table and whispered in my ear, Did you sleep okay last night? And did you see or hear your sister coming upstairs after we went to bed? Being 16 and not being sure what the correct answer was, I mumbled something and gave her a 16-year-old's nah. Man, parents, you can't even have a paranormal event without them giving you the third degree. To my knowledge, nothing further occurred for the rest of the stay. I know you could say I was sleeping and it was all a dream. However, three years later I was on home leave from the Air Force. My girlfriend and my parents and I were watching a TV show about paranormal encounters. My mom pops up at a commercial and mentions the trip to my sister's. She asked if I remembered her asking questions the morning following our arrival. I told her that yes I remembered because it was a bit odd. She told me that about 20 minutes after saying goodnight to me, she was kneeling at the bed saying prayers with her rosary beads and she heard the stairs creaking. She raised up from her prayers and this floating woman came through the door wearing a long dress and a nightcap. In her right hand was a candle holder with a lit candle and she had no particular facial features. Her left hand was holding her dress up. Just a weird sort of, we both finished together saying, blue glow. Mom looked at me and her eyes were locked on one another. She finished saying that the woman floated alongside of her bed across the foot of her bed and into a closed closet door, which made the coat hangers tinkle. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. She went on to tell me the reason for making up a story about my sister coming up the stairs was not to alarm me as we had four more nights to stay there. Mom went on to say my sister confided in her that her children were often found talking to a person invisible to her, one they could obviously see. They described him as an old man smoking a pipe, sitting in the rocking chair in the living room looking out the front window. The children further told my sister 
He has a Santa Claus beard and he wears overalls like daddy's. He's really nice. My sister said she occasionally saw the rocker facing the front windows rocking when the older boys were off to school and the girls were napping. She had many encounters with the floating blue lady in her bedroom. Her closet door used to be the door to the basement. My sister told my mom while in bed she would often see the blue lady enter her room, float through her closet door, causing the hangers to hit one another. My sister was freaked out that her husband had to work nights, and no one ever liked to go into the basement. According to my mom, my sister and her sister-in-law who lived nearby were, needless to say, unnerved by all of this, and did a fair amount of research, or as much as you could do back in 1963. She had conversations with the landlord and the neighbours, finding out about the family that worked the farm for over 80 years. They mentioned the upstairs was where travellers stayed on their journeys when it was an inn, earlier than the working farm. It was laid out differently back then. The closet in the second storey room was a hallway connecting several smaller rooms. And her husband didn't believe her or the children. And then there was the basement, that creepy basement... My sister's washer and dryer was down there as well as her freezer. According to mom, my sister would feel watched down there all the time. At times she said she was certain someone was standing just behind her, making a tingling static electricity feeling all around her. She would do what she had to do and get out of there as quickly as possible. With a, I'm not here to bother you, I'm just doing laundry, thank you. This, no doubt, came from the people travelling the Underground Railroad to hopefully freedom. Surely they felt frightened in their timeline, maybe passing that feeling on to whoever entered their space. Mom said my sister felt the innkeeper, the blue lady, would make her rounds looking after patrons and perhaps folks on the Underground Railroad as her dress was from an earlier time than the old man's apparel. I was not aware of any of the old man or basement stories while I was there, but my brother-in-law, being the ass that he was, sent me into the basement once during our stay, on the premise of getting some food or some such shit out of the freezer. And let's just say I did not stay long. That basement was actually freakier than the blue lady to me. Cold, damp, smelly and cobwebby. Just being a dirt floor was just weird to me. Mom and my sister questioned how the blue lady floated through doors yet disturbed coat hangers. This all happened 53 years ago and my 69-year-old brain just came up with doors are wood, hangers are metal, electromagnetism from the energy to materialise, metal hangers could be disturbed by the energy. But then, I'm no Zach Bagans. This house has been raised over the years as I tried a street view map search online only to find the house and the barn gone. My thoughts turned to the blue lady and the walks that she made. Did she feel her work on earth was incomplete? Since this house has been raised, where are she and the old man now? The blue lady acted as if live people were not of a concern to her, so I don't think she was the same type of apparition as the old man who interacted with the children and I pray they've all moved on to peace along with the souls in the basement. I question why some play out eternity carrying candlesticks to light the way for patrons long since dead, while others interact with living children. I travelled for a living, and have many road trip stories mostly of bad food, bad hotels, snowstorms and cancelled airline flights. But there was one particular trade show in the western US, 
that I attended in the fall of 1996 that I won't soon forget. Having gotten a late start booking a hotel room, I found myself resorting to taking a room at a B&B at the suggestion of my co-worker from the area. The proprietor was so pleasant and so proud of her establishment. She told me the history of the schoolhouse turned into a B&B. She pointed out the classrooms of Mrs. Smith's fourth grade and Mrs. Jones's first grade with engraved brass plaques on the doors and dozens of class photos on the walls from children and teachers back at the turn of the 20th century. She informed me that it may get cool this evening and she would ask her maintenance man to turn on the boiler for me. I asked that she not bother and she said, nonsense, I'm happy to accommodate you. After all, you're my first guest of the season. She asked when I might be arriving back this evening as she offers fresh baked cookies and hot chocolate at 8pm sharp. I interrupted her explaining I most likely won't be getting back until much later as I will have to take customers to dinner. She looked genuinely hurt and I felt genuinely bad. The owner showed me to two rooms, either one of which I could have taken. She said, take the larger of the two so you can really spread out and enjoy yourself. Now, I was here for work not to spread out, and living out of a suitcase is really inconsistent with the charm of a B&B. The room she offered had a sitting room, bedroom, and a weird sort of hallway connecting the bedroom to the bathroom on the opposite side of the building. Typical of a B&B, no TV, no radio, no food except at predetermined times, just inconsistent with the road warrior's lifestyle. I took the larger room at her recommendation. I returned that evening at around 11.30pm and let myself in with the pass key and felt immediately that I shouldn't be there as no one was around. The owner did not reside on the property and with no other people registered, I felt like I was in someone's home, almost like a trespasser. I clicked on the light switch at the stairs. There must have been all of a 40 watt light bulb. It did little to brighten my mood. I cringed as I creaked up the stairs. They weren't so charming as they had been in the light of day, with all the long, dead teachers' and children's photos scattered up the stairs, blankly staring back at me in the dim light. Letting myself into Mrs. Smith's fourth grade room, I quietly closed the door as to not disturb. I'm not sure who I thought I was disturbing. The proprietor, Mrs. Smith, or the children in Mrs. Smith's care. Man, this felt wrong. I was paying for this room and I felt like I was intruding. I readied myself for bed and fell into a deep sleep, waking having to use the restroom at 2am, according to the only electronic device in the whole establishment. Lying there for a moment, I noticed two things. It was very cold in Mrs. Smith's room, and I heard a tick, 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 tick of which I was trying to make sense of. Finally, it hit me. The boiler, the maintenance man, heat. I'm sure it's the boiler. Remembering my in-laws had hot water heat and while staying there on several occasions, I heard the comforting tick, tick, tick of the copper pipes expanding and the prospect of heat. So I was thinking, oh good, she didn't listen to me and she did get her maintenance man to turn the boiler on. I jumped out of bed and it was literally freezing in Mrs. Smith's fourth grade room. It was see your breath kind of cold. I make the sixth sense trot down the hallway to do my business. However, I found it warmer the closer to the bathroom that I got. Weird. 
On the return trip, I only loitered for a second to bend down to touch the radiator on the adjacent wall. So I was thinking, shit, it was cold as ice. And I could still hear the tick, tick, tick. I glanced out the window thinking maybe a tree branch was stabbing at the glass. You know the crinkly glass of older buildings that distorts your vision. Noticing the window faced the street. There were no trees, so I flew under the covers and tucked them firmly under my chin. Oh, for a holiday in, even a bad one. I fell back asleep wondering how many people looked out that window in 100 years. Tick, tick, tick. The following morning, I was down for breakfast, and the owner apologised that she couldn't get in touch with the maintenance man to light the boiler, but thankfully it hadn't gotten as cold as she thought it was going to get. I thought to myself about how odd that was, because it was so cold in Mrs. Smith's room. I told her I thought I heard the boiler working at around 2am. She sort of looked at me strangely and I told her about my in-laws and the reference to the tick 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 expanding pipes and all. Upon which, she just thinly smiled and looked at me. Thinking, what sort of crazy person did I rent this room to? My co-worker showed up and as we were driving to the convention centre, he asked how the accommodation was working out. I recounted Mrs. Smith's room was like a meat locker and starting at 2am there was a strange tick 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 sound. He said maybe it was Mrs. Smith's writing on the blackboard with chalk. You know, tick tick tick. He gestured with his writing hand in the air. He turned and grinned at me. I really didn't know how to respond to that and rode the rest of the drive in quiet contemplation. My friend later admitted that he knew that strange happenings had been reported from others staying in the B&B and was well known in the area. As I thought about it, the tick, tick, tick did seem right above my head at blackboard level. Now that he mentioned it, it did sound more like writing with chalk than heating pipes. I had two more nights there and thankfully no more encounters with the ticking in the wee hours. However, it was all I could do to stay in the B&B those final two nights, and getting out of bed was not an option. The owner's wry smile that first morning made me think in retrospect that she'd been aware of Mrs. Smith's nocturnal penmanship classes. Had I actually seen Mrs. Smith, I would not have had to make the walk down the hallway to use the bathroom. That much is certain. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Dustin, Kim, Jesse, and Larry for your stories. I think I made a mistake in the beginning. There were actually only four stories today. If you would like to send your story in, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com and you can check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you tomorrow. <laughs>